You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. So, hey, we've been doing a series entitled Postcards. And uh, how many of y'all know what a postcard is? All right, that tells us you're old. Okay, because they don't really sell postcards anymore. They're left over from many years ago. They're in the back of the gift shop. They're yellowing. And sometimes now they give them away for free when you get something because they've been back there so long that even like the four presidents, dead guys, things look different now. So they're just like giving them away. And um, anyway, so we're in that series. And so postcards are for us are books of the Bible that are one chapter. So we started off, we looked at the book of Obadiah, which is a book in the Old Testament. It's the only postcard book in the Old Testament. And it's a book of doom and gloom to the people of Edom, but a book of hope and restoration to the people of Israel. Then last week we talked about the book of Philemon Mignon. And Philemon Mignon by Lehman is a book of to the person Philemon from Paul. And he's talking about his slave, Onesimus, going back home to him. And so you can imagine that uh, someone who's one that was a slave that went away, but also stole and then going back to the one that you were a slave to own by and what you owed to them. Sorry, what you stole from them and, and the reconciliation there. And we talked about what would it look like in a church where there's true, deep fellowship, koinonia around the gospel and what it would mean to be moved by compassion by God. And that compassion that we saw was we learned a really cool word called splonka. Y'all remember that? And um, so you've had that word, and even my staff this week was would just come and stick their head in the door and say, Splanka, you know, and so <clears throat> anyway, a good word. And so now we're on Second John. And uh, when I think about Second John, it really shouldn't be Second John. It should actually be Third John, because John wrote several books. The first book that he wrote in the New Testament was the Gospel of John, which technically should be First John, right? And then there's the book of First John, which technically should be Second John. And then today we're in Second John, which technically should be Third John. Anyway, I'm getting you all confused, but it makes me think about names. You remember how names in the old days, it doesn't necessarily happen as much anymore, but you had Paul Johnson Smith, the first, Paul Johnson Smith, the second, Paul Johnson Smith, the third. And usually if they were the third, their nickname was Trey. And then there was the fourth one, Paul Johnson Smith, the fourth. I had a friend and he was the fourth and we just called him Trust Fund. That was his nickname. And so if you're in a family, like, or you're doing that now, like you have a name attached because there's wealth attached to it. But anyway, so today we're talking about the book of Second John. It's a small book. It's about 14 verses. And um, if you have your Bibles, dig in with me. If not, it's going to be on the screen. If you like to hold a Bible, some of you, there's Bibles there before you. I read out of the New Living Translation. So we'll get to that in just a second. So who is John? John is one of the original 12 disciples or apostles of Jesus. He's the brother to James. And so James and John are known or given the nickname by Jesus of sons of thunder. All right. These two guys are intense guys. So I imagine they were like defensive linemen. They were big, burly guys. They would knock you off your feet. They're just intense guys. And Peter, James and John were part of the inner circle of Jesus. And so they got to be a part of some special, unique experiences with Jesus that even some of the other disciples didn't get to be a part of. One of those 
inner circle moments was whenever they got to raise the daughter of Jairus. They raised her up in Mark chapter 5. They also got to be a part of the transfiguration where Jesus was on a mountain and Moses and Elijah transfigured there. And they were got to see that and experience that moment in Mark chapter 9. And then also they got to be at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus went away to pray. And it was his last moments and he was praying to the Father in intense prayer. He's Right, it was so intense that his he literally sweat blood, and so he's saying, "Father, take this cup from me." He knew and understood what was going to be happening upon the cross. He said, "There's any other way?" And Peter, James, and John were three guys that were there, and what did they do? They fell asleep. Okay, and then also John, whenever Jesus was crucified. All the other disciples had left, but John was left remaining with Mary and some other ladies around the cross. And so when Jesus, before he gave up his life, before he gave up his spirit, looked out at John and said, John, my brother, the one, the one whom I love, take care of this woman, Mary. She's now your mother. And so there's intense brotherhood. And some think that he's actually maybe the first cousin to Jesus as well. So there's this, this deep tie that these guys have. And so John... The apostle wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then this other book that people always ask. Pastor Chris, when are you going to teach through the book of Revelation? There's only one Revelation, all right? It's the Revelation that Jesus is coming back for his bride, us. And so um, one of these days we'll get to it. we got other more important things to do. Here's my theology on Revelation. Jesus is coming back. If Jesus didn't know, we don't know. When the trumpet sounds, it's too late, Okay. That's Revelation. All right. This book was written about 80 to 100 A.D., so it's late. John lived a long life. All right. He's the pastor to this area of Asia Minor or Ephesus. So imagine with me. Don't look at my muscles. All right. But imagine with me. This is Israel. All right. So this is their Egypt's down here. And then you come come up right around in here. See, um, Papa, um, Papa, Mama. You come up here. See, if you laugh at that, you're old, too. <clears throat> All right. And there's this place called Asia Minor in the old days. And so Ephesus is like right here, and it's a major port city. All right. You got me? And so they've moved up. So you can see the church, right? The church dispersed about 70 A.D. because of, of uh, persecution and stuff. And so the church is still under heavy persecution. So the church is growing to the north, growing to the south, and going here. It can't go here because this is the sea, but they're using the sea to go. And so this is about 80 A.D., when John is writing this book to the church and to the area of Ephesus. And again, it's a place under heavy persecution. Now, the church at Ephesus is a port city. It's a place of over 250,000 people, about 80 AD, which is a massive city at the time. And so there was a lot of wealth. There was a lot of movement. There was a, it was a place of um, great intellectual interests and great spiritual interests. It was at a time of peace within the Roman Empire, and so it was known as Pax Romana. And so here you have Ephesus, and stuff is coming in, and because of the roads, because of peace, the gospel is able to continue to spread and to begin to saturate. And as we know throughout church history, Christianity grows rapidly under persecution because people count the cost for the faith, and they understand the gospel, and it just spreads rapidly. And so we even see that today. I don't either. And so even so we see that today in China and other places around the world where the gospel is spreading at a rapid rate, the church is under heavy persecution. Now, so for us in America, we don't really understand that. We've, we've, we've lost some of that. We've lost this understanding of that suffering actually, actually brings purification to and counting the cost of the gospel. 
And so here, John as a disciple of the early church is in this context. And so one of the major um, religions of the day was the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis. We've talked about it before. It's a fertility cult. And so um, intimacy and looking around, um, you understand what I'm saying. There's young kids in here. Okay. It's a cult. And one of the things that happened, they, they, there's a goddess of fertility, a goddess of magic, and a goddess of astrology. All of these things is mixed in together. There's sacrifices of animal and human sacrifices as well. So it was a pretty crazy cult that was huge in the city, okay? Another thing that was going on was, yes, the church, the Christian church was growing, but also there was this philosophy, there was this teaching called Gnosticism. And so just quickly what Gnosticism was teaching, and it infiltrated the church early on, and we'll, we'll dig into it a little bit more, but Gnosticism taught this, is that the flesh was evil and the spirit was good. So think about this. If you're teaching, if one of the central Christian teachings of the church and still today of orthodoxy is that God himself took on flesh, incarnated in human flesh, how could God and why would God do that if flesh is evil? So you can see in the early church that that tug and that struggle. And so we know, we understand, we believe that Jesus, who is God, came and took on human flesh and walked among us. And what the Gnostics would teach was something different. They believed that they had received a special knowledge from heaven that told them new things and new teachings. And so that was infiltrating the early church. And so here, John, all of his writings deal with false teaching. Even when you look at the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so that is the beginning of he's, he's setting the stage for his people that read the Gospel of John to know that this is a book that I'm writing to tell you the truth. And the main thing that I'm fighting against is Gnosticism. That God, that Jesus was not a ghost, but he came in human form. And so if you look through the Gospel of John, all of the miracles that John wrote about were physical miracles that took place that a ghost didn't do them, but the physical person of Jesus did them. Okay? And so here's the setting with which in John writes, the church is under heavy persecution. The church has been around now about 50 years. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was about 33 to 36. Now we're about 80 to 90 A.D. And so the church has been dispersed, is growing rapidly, and now there's false teachers coming in amongst this new thing. And the Roman people, the Roman culture treated early Christians as Jews. They thought of them as a sect, maybe zealous and a little bit different. And so they kept a watchful eye under them and persecuted them. And as we know throughout history, the early Christian church, many Christians were, were killed and martyred for their faith. And so this is what we're writing in. And so here John is talking about we have to stand strong for the faith. And we have to stand strong for truth. And he digs into this idea of truth and love. And it fits our culture today. That we as followers of Jesus need to stand strong in truth while loving. And how do we do that? How do we love our neighbors well while also standing strong for the truth? And so we'll talk more about that. So if you have your Bibles, dig in with me. Here we are in verse 1. And unfortunately for you, you're at the 11 o'clock. And so I don't have to worry about another service. Just kidding. This letter is from John, again, one of the disciples, the elder, which is 
Elder here means like pastor, teacher, shepherd, all right? He's the lead pastor of Asia Minor in this area of Ephesus. I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children. Now, the chosen lady, it feels formal, doesn't it? But he's writing to the church, the bride of Christ, because, again, they're under persecution, so he's writing in language that's kind of hidden. And so he wants them to know, hey, I'm writing to the church, but if someone else picks up this letter by accident, they don't know that it's the church at Ephesus. It's written to the chosen lady, and they would know who that is. And it's written to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth. He's beginning to establish that foundation of truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be forever with us. Grace and mercy and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. Now, what I want you to grasp is this, is that truth matters and that truth is substantive. So in other words, if I were to say to you, when you walk out of this building today, it's going to be hot. And if you walk outside today and you experience hot, that is true, not false, right? But if you, if I say to you, hey, it's raining outside and you walk outside and it's not raining, that is False. So we can agree there are some things that are true and there are some things that are false. And so truth matters. Truth is based in reality. Truth is also transcendent. You and I can't make up what is true. Truth is transcendent. God is truth. He is the source of truth. Truth doesn't come from us. We can't make it up or it's not determined by us. Truth comes to us. It's discovered. It's not created. The God of the Bible is revealing himself and has revealed himself about himself and the truth that could not be known otherwise. He shared with us. It's truth that's discoverable. And we live in a culture. This is where we struggle. We live in a culture that says you have your truth and I have mine. So if you walk outside and you say it's raining and it's not then that's an opinion, not true. And so we live in a world and in a culture that's confused and doesn't really understand what truth is. Truth matters. And here what John begins to tell us is that love and truth are inseparable. True love cannot be at the expense of truth. And this is our current day struggle. Is that there are guardrails that scripture has given us, that God has given us, and the guardrails are this. Truth is on one side and love is on the other side. And we need to walk in between these guardrails that we kind of bounce in between them. We walk in them and we walk in pursuit of God the Father. We walk in pursuit of Jesus. And in those moments where we get on the outside of those guardrails, that's when we find that we get in trouble. It's a slippery slope, so to speak, that we get into. Even as a matter of fact, this last night, late last night, my daughter comes to me and she shows me one of those ticker talkers, Instagram reel things. Y'all seen these? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. If you're old, you may not know. I don't know. But there's this video thing that now shows up on your phone, if you have those. And so she showed me this really cool old video. And so she's like doubled over laughing about it. And she's like, Dad, 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 you got to see this. You got to see this. And so she shows it to me. And she's like, hey, it's a warning. Warning, it's like four and a half minutes. And my son's like, it's the stupidest video ever, Dad. <clears throat> and so I'm like, okay, cool. Let's watch it. And so we begin to watch it. And here's what it is. It's this guy at a rock concert 
with his phone, and he's standing at this certain spot at the rock concert, and it's very, I mean, it's a grassy hill, you can see it, and then there's some spots that are not grassy, that have become muddy and dirty, and obviously now we understand it's about to become very slippery, okay? And so this guy, he's literally holding his phone, and he's like, hey, watch out, it's slippery. And people then, I mean, like, right as he says it, people are like, boom, and fall down. All right, well, then people are watching, and they see it, and they think that they can do it differently. So they then become to go down. And so you see person after person try to make it down. And guess what? Time after time after time, what do they do? They fall on their high knees. Some of them fall pretty hard on their heads. And then they've got black mud all down their white clothes. I don't know why all of them seemed to wear white that day, but they were wearing white. <clears throat> and, I mean, some of them had really precious cargo because they were holding their Michelob Ultras like really like this and they're like trying and they're like holding on to other people and guess what when they hit the right spot they fell and their precious cargo went up in flames with them and this is us this is us guardrails of truth and love walking in the direction of Jesus for some reason, something on the other side of the guardrail catches our attention. The grass looks greener on the other side. And even though we've seen the video of time after time, someone going down on the other side and falling on their rear end and looking like a fool, we think to ourselves, I'll be different. I'll be different. And this is what John is saying is like in truth and love, there's this balance that we're to live in and, and that truth is here and love is here. And these are the guardrails. And there's moments where we need to stand stronger on truth, but we can't get away from love because if we get too far away from love, then we're judgmental. And if we get too, too far into love, then we, we're just letting everything go. So here John is saying truth matters for the church. And so the question that John is drawing for us is how can the church and for us as Jesus followers love well while not abandoning the truth? How can we love our neighbors well but not abandon the truth? Because if we abandon the truth, then we're not loving well. We're letting our neighbors go off the side of the edge and slip and fall and literally hurt themselves and make fools of themselves. While all the while we could have said, hey, listen, I've got the video. Don't do this. If you go over there, this is what's going to happen. And listen, my friends, with the word of God, we've got the video. Where he says, if you go over here, if you go over here, that's not the way of life. That's the way of foolishness. That's the way of death. That's the way of harm. That's the way of, of your bones literally drying up and becoming brittle because you're choosing to live this way. And so John sets the stage of truth and love. And he goes on, and he says, verses 4 through 6, and he says, So walk this way. How happy I was to meet some of your children, this bride of Christ, and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. Here John is saying, listen, this is one of the distinctives of the church is that we are to love one another well. As we talked about with Philemon, that listen, we're to be known by the way that we koinonia together, that we have a deep fellowship together, that we, in that deep fellowship, there's moments where we have to share the truth. There's moments where in our love we have to do those things and the balance of that koinonia and that as we're growing in our faith and love for one another, that there's this cool word, splanka, 
that our emotions, our compassion begins to look like the Good Samaritan and we see someone in need and we fall on our knees and care for them, even at our own cost, we put them in the end to care for them. Or we're like the father that's waiting on the edge and the light is on and he's looking for his son that's run away with his inheritance and we're waiting for our son to come home and our our emotions, our compassion are moved toward loving them well and completely. So here John is reminding us of this idea is that we are to be known by our love and how we care for one another. And that the world is watching us and how we are to be able to do that. And so many times we're known for how we hurt each other. And in those moments when we should stand back to back to defend each other and to stand strong together and to tell each other the truth and love. Too many times instead of standing back to back we stand front to back and the other one is harming us. And stabbing us in the back with the things that they should be helping us with. That sometimes they're actually pushing us over the edge and saying, just go. We're to love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning. Even John tells us in his gospel, he says that he repeated from Jesus, how do you know that my disciples, by the way that you love one another? They will know that you're my disciples. That will be part of the evidence of being under the, stu- the study of Rabbi Jesus. Verse 6, love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another just as you have from the beginning. When we divorce truth from love, you do not have love. You begin to walk away and walk into your own way from God, into your own truth, and you begin to walk into shifting sands. And in those shifting sands, it's not a firm foundation. You're walking in my truth or your truth, but not in his truth. And the sands begin to shift. In Proverbs chapter 3, a verse some of you probably know well, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Depend not on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path which to take, truth and love. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead... Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In other words, you see things on the other side of the guardrails and you're like, "Mm -mm, I got the video. Turn away and continue to walk this way. Or Jeremiah 17, verse 5 and following. This is what the Lord said. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. For our hope comes not from our wisdom, not from our accomplishments, but comes from the Lord. And we have confidence in him. Why? Because time after time after time, he has proven himself worthy and right and trustworthy. That he shows up at the right time in the right way with the right things and it provides exactly what you need when you need it. So therefore you develop a hope that you can not just hope, it's not like a vanishing mist, but it's truth that you can hold on to. And so here John, or the author of Jeremiah, is reminding us that, hey, listen, when we believe in the Lord and trust in him and hope in him, it's not a faulting mist, but something that's a biblical hope that's true and lasting and is always trustworthy. Why? Because the character of God, character of God is that he showed up time 
and time and time again. Therefore, he is trustworthy, and you can place your hope and your confidence in him. We have a phrase around here that says, no perfect people allowed. Right? Which means all of us are allowed, which means that grace is important. And grace is true, right? If you've said yes to Jesus, you've been amazed by his grace, and you understand that all of us at the cross, we are spiritually bankrupt, and only by his grace and offering invitation can we have salvation through Christ. It's not of our own doing, of our own intelligence, of our own wealth or anything, totally upon his invitation and us receiving that gift. Grace is true, but grace doesn't allow us to stay in the same place. Sometimes we think, hey, we're just going to receive everybody and everybody's welcome and we're offering grace. Yes, that's true. But as you begin to understand what grace is, grace doesn't allow you to sit in the same seat week after week after week unchanged. Because if you are able to do that, then you haven't met Jesus. Because if you understand why you should be amazed by grace, it won't allow you to sit in that same seat. It begins to transform you and begin to change you. And your appetite is wet for more of who God is. This God that would offer you grace in the messiness of your mess. And say that he still loves you. Grace transforms us. It changes us and grows us deeper in community. Truth is if we love God... And we obey him, and obedience crumbs from this trust, then trust is a fruit of the truth. Grace isn't cheap. It costs God something. As we begin to lean into that grace, lean into the trust of who he is, it grows us and transforms us and changes us. There's a Christian psychologist by the name of Henry Cloud, and he says this about truth and grace. Truth without grace is just judgment. But grace without truth is deception. Let me say this again. Truth without grace is just judgment. But grace without truth is deception. In other words, it's a lie. Where John Stott is a longtime pastor, says, Our love grows soft if it's not strengthened by truth, but truth grows hard if it's not softened by love. In other words, there's guardrails, truth and love. And as we walk in those and find the balance of those as we're pursuing Jesus, that there's going to be moments where we have to lean more into truth. There's going to be moments where we have to lean more into love. And this is the question that we're dealing with as 21st century Americans, is what is truth and what is love and how do we love our neighbors well in truth so that they quit going over the guardrails and looking like fools when they slip down and people are like, they're dropping their beers and we're like, I told you. I told you that thing that you thought brought you worth and value, you've dropped it and it is not bringing you worth and value. Those things may look appealing in the moment, but they're cheap trinkets. And so the best place to have those conversations are here and the guardrails not yelling it down like, hey, listen, you're going to fall on your. Yeah. Right. Because that comes across as what? Judgment. But as we're walking along life with our neighbors, we have some of these deep discussions to be able to share the truth and love. And it's a hard balance because we don't want to get rejected. We don't want to lose our friends. We don't want to lose our neighbors. Because here's the deal. Danger is ahead and danger is all around. 
And that's what John talks about. Verse 7 and following. He says, I say this. Because many deceivers have gone out into the world, they deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. This is that teaching of Gnosticism. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. So imagine here you are. You're at Cross Point Community Church, and you don't have a pastor. And one of the things of the day back then was the church at Colossus, the church at Philippians. They may not necessarily have had a lead pastor. And so pastors... Teachers and evangelists would come through and teach on a regular basis. That was the rabbi system. And so you have multiple people coming through. And sometimes teachers and pastors and evangelists would come through. And, and as they were receiving hospitality from the church, so the church would host them for a week or two weeks or months, or even as in Paul's situation, for years on end. And they would teach and they were receiving hospitality. They were being cared for by the congregation in this entire time. And so John is saying, listen, people are going to come through. Do not trust every teacher that comes through. When you ever begin to hear them, may the red flags go up when you notice that they're going outside of the guardrails of truth and love. When they begin to teach things that are not true, that you've heard from Paul, that you've heard from me, that you've heard from the other disciples, if they're teaching stuff other than that, then they are deceivers, they are liars, and they are against Christ. That's what antichrist means. So watch out that you do not lose what you have worked so hard to achieve. This is that koinonia and that splunkta. Be diligent so that you receive the full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach this truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people has become a partner to the evil work. Gnosticism had infiltrated the church. So you can imagine this teaching of flesh is evil and spirit is good. And and listen, then that means that you've got to throw out the doctrine of Christ, that that God came in the flesh and walked amongst us. And so that means that this this teaching of Gnosticism is teaching about that, hey, Jesus is a ghost. And so all throughout John in his gospel is talking about all of the miracles or physical things. And like, hey, Jesus ate with us. He walked with us. He touched and healed lepers. and, And it was a very physical gospel. And he's teaching against that, even even the fact that rampant immorality was a result because flesh is evil, so do what you want. They'd adopted the, the Nike phrase, just do it. Because if, if the flesh is evil and you can't control it, then you just go and do what you think. And then the flip side of that is it didn't ever harm the spirit. So do whatever you want to do in the flesh because it's not going to harm the flesh. And it's also not going to harm the spirit. So just do whatever. Antichrist. Standing against the Christ. So why does this matter? Because we live in a culture where all kinds of questions are being thrown at us. We're being bombarded with things and we're being told as followers of Christ that we're judgmental, that we don't love, that we don't know what truth, your truth is my truth. And it's just a confusing time. And in the next few months, we're going to talk about biblical sexuality because sex is in the Bible. Have y'all seen, like, all my children and all that stuff? That's Bible stuff. They've just ripped off some stories and made a lot of money from it. I mean, Song of Solomon, I mean, like, hey, listen, she's got a nose so beautiful you can ski off of it. Her hair is when she lets it down. It's like goats going down the mountain. I mean, this is good stuff. (laughs) Sex is in the Bible, so we're going to talk about it. 
But I want you to get this. I want you to understand that there's a difference. And so that we as followers of Christ need to walk this road of truth and love. And our neighbors are asking this question. And one of the main things that they're looking at is how well do we love one another? And if we don't love each other well, then how can you love those that aren't in, that believe what we believe? Because we believe some crazy stuff. That's interesting. It's challenging. And if we can't love each other, how can we love our neighbors? So before I close, I just want to give you this thought. Is there's, we're being told we should be tolerant. And so I want to talk about that just for a second. There's three kinds of tolerance. One tolerance is legal tolerance. And this is the idea of that you have your basic First Amendment rights, and the Bible advocates that kind of tolerance, that we should, we should have the right of free speech and that kind of deal. The second type of tolerance is a social tolerance. The first one's legal tolerance. The second one is a social tolerance. This is the idea of accepting someone as a fellow human being, this imago Dei, that we're made in the image of God, regardless of what they believe, interacting with them in love and having a relational openness to them as fellow human beings. In other words, we see someone and we say, because you're human, you're made in the image of God, and I love you and I care for you, and I'm going to do whatever I can for you. Because I would want you to do the same for me. Y'all have heard of the golden rule? That kind of thing. Why? Because Jesus accepted everyone and showed them the way to the Father. And that's our call. But here's where we get tripped up, is intellectual tolerance. It's this idea of accepting any and every idea as being valid, good, right, and true. That there is a right and there is a wrong. That there is a true, there is a false. Not every idea, not every thought, not every teaching is right and true. And Christianity draws a line. And so we're told that that's intolerance. And I would say, maybe. But it's right. Not every idea is right and true. If we're walking in truth and love, you're going to have neighbors that are going to look and see on the other side of the guardrail and say, that looks good. Do you see the video? It may look good, but it's not true. That's the word of God. And for us as followers of Jesus to study it and to know it and to know our Savior and to know his heartbeat. To walk in truth and love and to pursue him. And as we're walking in truth and love is to grab as many people as we can and say, walk with me toward Jesus. That's our mission here at Crosspoint. Is we're pointing ourselves and pointing each other toward Jesus. In truth and love and the guardrails, we're moving toward Jesus. We want to look and act and think and love and care and splanta more like Jesus. And I've got evidence that when you go over here, you go over there. It's not life-giving, but you look like a fool. And it hurts. The hurts and the pains and the shame and the regret linger longer than the fall. Let's walk in truth and grace. Let's pray together. Father, we live... In difficult days, but they're no different than the days of yesteryear. Father, you've been 
seeing these things and interacting with humanity and the, the, the depravity and the foolishness of depravity for many generations. And you've, in your word, you've given us video after video after video of foolishness to say, don't go that road. Go this one. Father, I pray this morning that each one of us here at Crosspoint, as we pursue Jesus, one, that if we don't know you, Jesus, that we find you. Discover the first point of truth, and that's you. And then walk in these guardrails of truth and love. And may we not be shouters of judgment, but may we be putting our arms around our neighbors and walking with them and loving them toward truth and saying, listen, I've, I've gone over that guardrail <laughs> and you don't want to go there. Walk with me on the path to Jesus. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.